How's how's that beverage? Oh, it's tasty. <laughs> Mommy loves juice. everybody welcome to a new episode of two drunk fans time doesn't exist anymore so technically we're not late or anything like that all right it's still march <laughs> gab what are you drinking i'm drinking a lemonade and gin um i don't work tomorrow except for a 7 30 a.m phone call uh but it's not working if it's my day off right sure <sighs> uh what are you what are you enjoying what are you imbibing in this evening uh mommy is drinking her juice what's in your juice tequila margarita mix seltzer that's a pretty good juice box i firmly believe in adding seltzer to any kind of mixed drink that you have like if it's fruity just add a little seltzer to it get the the bubbles the bubbles you like the bubbles i love the bubbles i'm like a <laughs> middle-aged mom love that buble. I have a bottle of rosé that's sitting in the fridge. I was going to take it to a friend's house last weekend, but I ended up taking just cans of cider. Mm -hmm. And I am looking forward to cracking open the rosé at some point this weekend. Or It'll be fantastic. Or what you could do, pour the rosé into a baking sheet, put it in the freezer, let it get nice and slushy, or even if it gets frozen, you can like toss it into a blender, and then you have frosé. Why... <laughs> why the baking like so because so you can get it out if you freeze it in the bottle it's you can't get it out of the bottle sure i guess i'm thinking of an easier method like i'll use sugar cube trays or not sugar cube ice cube trays if you really want you could just blend it with ice and like but that'll dilute but then it a little it's watered bit down. yeah that but dilutes it's watered it down. so you pour it in the tray so it's easy for you to break up and like if you need really need to you can toss some chunks in the blender and I'm going to I'm going to go to Target and I'm going to get a whole set of ice cube trays. God, I have to eat stuff on my freezer though cuz back when all of this started in March, I fucking went to the grocery store. It is still and... March. It is March like 95th right now. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> But like when all of this started, I went, I was that person that went to the grocery store and I was like, all right, I'm just going to bunker for three months. And I don't know if I'll be able to go to a grocery store anytime soon. And I filled my freezer up with frozen dinners and like, I've got loaves of bread. Like I, there are certain things I don't need to buy for a while. I need to eat all that up before I can put ice cube trays of rosé in my freezer. Aww. So now I have motivation, right? Like yeah. now now I'm going to eat grilled cheese and PB&J for a week because I need to make that loaf, that bread loaf space for rosé. Delicious. Hey, I'll do it for next weekend when, uh, when the Challenge Cup is like kind of rolling. And uh, I'm not a ball of nerves like I am right now. Oh, wow. The Challenge Cup. What's that, Gab? D did you know that soccer is back? Yeah. Um, MLS is returning. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> NBA is coming back next month. Uh, Every other sports league but women's. Right? 
Ugh. It feels like we have that fight literally every other day. Some side bleacher report or even the AP or whatever is like, sports are back. And then they list literally every league but NWSL. Every league but NWSL. But when there's negative news in the NWSL, they are quick, quick, quick to put it on their homepage. Uh, I feel bad about that situation because the latest one was the Boston Globe, my territory, where they picked up an AP story off the wire. And it was about the Orlando Pride withdrawing, which we will definitely talk about in a moment. And the original story was written by Annie Peterson, who you might know, based out of Portland. Mm -hmm. Annie's great. Anybody who knows her knows that she's been covering the game for a really long time. And she's put in her dues and she's, like, you know, been gracious with plenty of younger writers, including me. And I feel bad about tweeting about it because i was mad at the globe but like some elements of the fandom took it as like we should be mad at annie peterson for writing this negative story and i'm like look i know not everybody has been around for years but can you like just look at her twitter first before you get <laughs> mad at her clearly like she even called out her own beat the ap for not paying attention to nwsl and like realizing they're firstly back so i feel a little bad about she got caught up in, in me blasting the Boston Globe because I still am mad at them about never covering the breakers. But, you know. Is that why you changed back to a blue boot? No, it was just time. It was time. That's all right. I changed That's it to okay. red, obviously, for sync breaking the goal record. But you know, it was just time. Get back to fundamentals, you know. I, I understand that. It's uh, fucking weird that sports are starting back up. Um, I've been saying all week, it feels like there's a home opener. It feels like, you know, all this buzz, but I'm, I'm like 51% excited that sports are back and that my league is the first league back and that they're taking it seriously. And, and, um, like everything I've seen has been not necessarily like positive, positive, but it's been like, we're absolutely being as cautious as possible, but <clears throat> with the news that broke about Orlando like it like maybe maybe last weekend I would have told you I was like 80% excited 20% stressed and worried now I'm like 51% excited and 49% like oh my god this might be bad okay here's the thing though so first of all let's backtrack a little bit in case anybody's been living under a rock and doesn't understand what we're referring to which is um some members of the Orlando Pride, players and staff, 10 in total, tested positive for COVID-19. Although, update today, apparently, upon retesting, right, because you, to be thorough, you test twice, some of them came back negative again, implying some of them may have had false positives. But then again, false negatives are also a thing with COVID-19 mm -hmm. tests. So they're all getting tested again. Complicated by... I don't know if the team's tests and wherever they're running them through their lab is the same as the county's tests and whatever they're doing in their lab. Because you'll remember Ashlyn Harris posted her Instagram story, and I believe it was Julia Poe, who's like a beat reporter with the Orlando Sentinel, I want to say, reported like some of the players are also getting additional tests through the county in order to kind of double check the day after the, the story dropped. So... With this whole, like, false positive, false negative, who's actually positive, who's negative business, it's really interesting to me to, maybe we could find out, I don't know if we will, like, are the Orlando Pride using a different test that, like, the county is using? Are they using a different lab? Like, how did they get so many positive tests? 
at the same time. Like, 10 people testing positive and then a lot of them coming back as false positives has some implications there about, like, the lab methodology or, like, the batch that they used in order to create the test. Something may be going on there. I don't want to speculate too much. Long story short, Orlando Pride had to withdraw. And to your point, I actually don't think it has a bunch of implications for Utah. And I think it may actually help because it'll make the players a lot more cautious. They already had rules like you can't leave the little NWSL athlete village without permission. And then mm-hmm. stuff coming in, I think, is coming through like a, a check a checkpoint or a choke point or whatever. But I think now they're all going to see like, oh, all it takes is one slip up and you're fucked. Yeah. And you're like roasted. Yeah. Like everybody's going to know it was you. God. Can you imagine you get one shot at some kind of meaningful competition this year? And then it wasn't just uh, a one-time outing. I believe that it was reported that there were a couple of different outings to bars with a, like multiple players. But I just would not be able to trust those players again. Or like the process of rebuilding trust would be so... You would, you would honestly have to bring in like a therapist, a team therapist, some kind of sports psychologist to 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 mend that that broken trust that sense of betrayal and then especially if the tests came back then like well you were negative after all and you could have gone but you it's too late you withdrew (laughs) it's a clusterfuck yeah like it's an absolute clusterfuck and it's just like this is why protocols were put in place and this is why rules exist. Like who cares what your region is doing or what, you know, your uh, city, county, state allows. Like the, I feel like the league has been pretty upfront since this tournament was first announced in May um, that it's going to be a team effort in order for this thing to be successful. So in the wake of all this announcement, the stands were out there trying to figure out who went to the bars. They were scouring people's social media. I didn't think it was super helpful because I think they were, they had some wrong conclusions. Uh, Ashlyn Harris was like, it's not helpful to us right now to try to find someone to put the blame on. And I think it was Sydney LaRue who said, you, because someone was like, I think this is a failing of Mark Skinner. And she's like, no, it's on us, meaning the team. For this failure so i'm like okay if it's on the team where were the team leaders um trying to keep everybody connected and together and on the same page and bought in being like guys we know florida's opening up and we know a lot of you are young you're hot young soccer players you probably have <laughs> your own money for the first time in your life right you don't have your college coach or your parents breathing down your neck and you think, I'm going to go out to a bar. Florida's opening up. It's legally allowed, but that's a trap. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So like if they're going to be like, this was a team failing, then where was the team leadership on the issue? And that might be part of the team failing. Yeah. Right. Like that's a horrible lesson to learn, but that's a lesson you got to learn. Yeah, if you want to call it a team failing, then yeah, well, let's look at the team. Be like, what was the culture like where I, I understand it was so hard to create a team culture because they were only allowed to start full team training within the past couple of weeks. Normally, you have months by now with your rookies to kind of mm-hmm. bring them into the fold and tell them this is the way we do things here. And they had none of that. These rookies were just kind of left out there to do whatever on their own. So in that sense, I understand how hard it was. In the other sense... 
21 and 22 was old enough to have some goddamn sense. Well, yes. But I do think... I do think that they require there is a necessary there is a necessary requirement of like guidance and maybe it's setting good examples maybe it's you know giving giving something else to occupy um like i don't know what it is but there is something about people and we're seeing it all across this country where if you are given a rule or told you can't do something like suddenly now you're fixated on well you can't control me that's true. And so I, I do think that there is a certain level of like, you got to generate buy-in. You've got, you can't just say, here are the rules, follow them. Like you've got to somehow pick, pick it up in that way. And I think to, to your point of the team failing, like it could be, it could be the whole team or it could be just players don't want to deal with like other people being thrown under the bus right now or they want to deal with it in-house. I would bet it's some combo of those two things, where it's like all the, the public witch hunts aren't really helping them because their locker room is probably stressed out enough as it is, and they don't need stands being like pointing fingers and just escalating things. And yeah, the the other side being praise in public, punish in private. Mm-hmm. How crazy, though. How crazy that the week of the tournament starting a team has to pull out i would be so fucking disappointed there it goes i'd be crushed, evaporated. crushed and then you know assuming they figure out a vaccine in 2020 big assumption um you, you're gonna have to wait probably until 2021 march at the soonest in order to start playing with any kind of meaningful level again because NWSL is probably not going to have any kind of uh, season shorter or otherwise after the Challenge Cup. I mm-hmm. think they know that like this Challenge Cup thing, they got lucky in a lot of ways. I think I think there are a lot of positives to the Challenge Cup. Um, I know people feel like you know we should cancel all sports and and whatnot. And again, that goes back to me: fifty one percent, forty nine percent, but. I, I do think that NWSL is in a unique situation where the league is small enough that we're not talking about 30, 30 teams all trying to get to a tourist destination. We're talking about relatively small groups. And uh, it's it's like while it's a contact sport, it's not like like we're seeing it be successful in Europe. And I guess that's that's not to say that like Europe has been successful at a lot of other stuff. The United States has been really successful at like bringing the number of cases down and all that stuff. But it, it just, to me, it's not the worst case scenario for this thing to keep going. I mean, obviously with a caveat, like we're not going to judge any player who looks at that and is like, okay, even though the risk is literally 1%, it's the 1% I can't afford. No one's going to judge you for that because the no. consequences for that 1% can be utterly devastating. And, um, and some of these players are towards the end of their career. Yeah. I mean, some of them have kids too, or some of them may mm-hmm. have uh, elderly parents or they may have immuno- uh, immunocompromised loved ones, or they may just be concerned for their own health. Like, there's absolutely zero judgment here. Although we yep. have seen that, like, 
the vast majority of them want to play. I think there's six national team players that are sitting out, including Alex Morgan, um, who was going to sit out anyway before the Pride had to withdraw because she has a bebe now. <laughs> she has a mama. Yeah, she has a bebe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great reason to sit out. But yeah, the mo- most of them want to play. So even though Utah is spiking, I think we saw that like the protocols that people have in place are also working. Like with the Pride, yes, people got exposed, but they were able to actually shut it down pretty quickly once they got an inkling like, oh shit, players are going out to bars. We need to do additional testing on top of the once a week testing that we're doing. And then mm-hmm. they like were able to isolate people out, contact trace them, and now they're doing more testing. And so hopefully beyond the 10 people who initially tested positive and may not all be positive, they were able to essentially nip it in the bud. Hopefully. Fast, I hope full recovery to everyone in Orlando who who tested positive, who has it. Um, I hope that they're able to sort out the testing issue uh, relatively soon. Um, you know, you don't want to jump to conclusions and be like, cool, I got, I'm negative, so I'm negative. Like, you want to get retested again and, and make sure of that. But it, like, huh, I can't imagine the stress and the worry that, that, is associated with the am I or am I not? Oh my God. So when I was in high school, I found a, an abnormal mole on my head and it was big and weird enough that I got sent off for a biopsy. And the couple of days that I spent worrying about that were just so stressful. And mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how much worse it is worrying about Like if you got the positive test, right, and then you're waiting for the results of the second test to kind of confirm or not confirm, I can't imagine how worried you'd be because we there's so many stories about out there about like very healthy 20, 30 and 40 somethings who have dealt with devastating consequences. Like it doesn't matter how in shape and healthy you are. It can it can get you sometimes even if you're young and physically active. So, yeah, I guess long story short, I really sympathize with everyone in Orlando and I hope everyone who tested positive and is confirmed positive however many that ends up being like just you know doesn't get the the real bad symptoms hopefully they just are able to kind of they're 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 among the group of people who yes are positive but they go through with either like little or very mild symptoms the thing that really sucks about this i mean everything really sucks about this i should have said that but covid is one of those things where i wish it were like chicken pox and once you had it you're good and not oh now next time you get it it's gonna be different where it comes back as shingles yeah god yes oh anywho 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 pride or out you know who's having a week who? Allie Riley. Woo! Can you I saw, imagine yeah. being Allie Riley? What a fucking emotional seesaw. Like, what a week. Monday, was it Monday? Mm, about the report? Y- yeah. That was June 22nd. So, yes, that was Monday. So on Monday, they withdraw. On Thursday, she finds out that New Zealand is going to host... The Women's World Cup. Yeah. This week has been so unrelenting. 
in terms this of this year has been so yeah i know in terms of like the actual news this week of women's soccer news is <laughs> it's like nothing it's a drop in the bucket just suck it up having to deal with women's world cup news is like why are you crying about that stopping a baby <laughs> i'm just i woke up this morning it wasn't even on my radar like wasn't even on my radar and then i was like wait they're doing what today oh my god yeah. they're announced oh shit it was okay. so interesting because there was all this last minute like drama over oh Colombia's gonna get a late surge and they might get like uefa on their side and now it might come down to the african confederation um and we don't know if Concacaf might swing their way as well but in the end australia and new zealand pretty comfortably won the bid because they had Concacaf. They had AFC and OFC, obviously, and they had CAF on their side. And then mm-hmm. UEFA went to Economy Bowl. So it wasn't particularly close, and the, the confederations all voted as a block. I would say that a lot of the drama around this came at the last minute because there was that report in The Guardian, I want to say, by Susie Rack, about how uh, two UEFA members had... S- ignore the technical report that FIFA put out on the bids where they gave Australia a pretty high rating and Colombia a low one, and they called the Women's World Cup a development tournament. So it should go to Colombia. And there's a lot of layers happening here that are like all interacting in in interesting and weird ways. It's interesting, the political, the political like behind the scenes, the maneuvering that is probably happening. I, I mean, I still... I think I still have like my dream job would be to do operations or some sort sort of coordinating around a world cup for the hopes, not like for a sponsor or for like a team, but like to try to do that stuff. And from everything I read, Australia just had the best package. Australia and um, New Zealand definitely put together yeah, a sorry. super yeah, thorough bid. Yeah. And then Columbia's technical report was not quite as good. But here's where I want to caution people because I'm really suspicious of that rating that FIFA handed out. Because as we know, FIFA is not the most progressive institution. And they're, I'm when, when I read the report, they made references to like crime and terrorism. And yes, Colombia has had their issues with like paramilitary groups, which I might add, many of their problems in these areas were spurred by United States, like in their military intervention. Anyway, I digress. The point being, they made these references and I'm like, this feels kind of like a veiled way to talk about Colombia is like this poor brown country that's riddled with crime and doesn't have a lot of great amenities. It feels a little dog whistly. Like, so I really, I took that rating with like a grain of salt and I wish I'd been a lot more vocal about it up until now that FIFA is full of people with like really bad colonialist attitudes and they're not great on anti-racism and whoever was compiling the info for the technical report on the bids i don't want to discount that they were influenced by their perception of colombia as like this poor brown country filled with crime when it you know it's that's not like that's perception driven by uh white media as colombia of colombia as like the center of all drug cartels in the world which is you know absolutely racist so I really want to be cautious about confronting any preconceived notions about Colombia and Latin America 
in discussion of like rejecting this description of the World Cup as a development tournament and why Colombia wouldn't even fit the requirements of a development tournament anyway, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't, you've obviously, you've spent way more time reading and researching um, all of this stuff than I have. I, I guess from my perspective, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I also view it as like, it's a chicken or the egg situation. Like either the federations are going to start funding their program and, or uh, they're going to sit back and wait until an international governing body either tells them they have to in order to um, post something like this or tells them that they, you know, or the, the local government does. Right. But like, the tourism factor, it, it makes me laugh because I've now been to two, well, I've been to three World Cups, two in other countries. And I mean, unless FIFA is going to really throw money behind this, like they don't do a whole hell of a lot for tourism. That's true. Like, they don't really do a ton of promo. They don't, like, okay, yeah, maybe they're looking out for the the traveler, um, for, for people who would go to these places, but they're not providing a ton. I, I just think of last year and how we all had such transportation issues just trying to get home from the final or trying to get home from the semifinals and uh, uh, catching trains and that sort of thing. Like to me, it's laughable that FIFA is concerned about tourism. I would agree. Even if they try to pass off blame onto the local organizing committee, it's like, why aren't you staying on top of people about that? Like, why, why, why wouldn't you have check-ins where you're like, Hey, are you sure that we can transport 50,000 people to the stadium in the couple of hours before the game? Mm-hmm. Although the other explanation might be that FIFA didn't expect anyone to show up, which well, I would also accept. That, that too, and that makes me almost equally as mad because it's like, well, why are you using tourism as an issue? Yeah. Like it would be one thing if one of the – if if uh, Colombia had a bad rap with like um, violence against women or violence against gays or uh, uh, something like that. But then you look at, well, they've awarded to Russia. They've awarded to Qatar, like, or Qatar, sorry. They've awarded to Qatar. Um, and then, you know, you need to remember, oh, FIFA's had a huge change in leadership. But, I mean, they're not, they're not progressive. Oh, absolutely not. Like, they can say good words. They got to back it up with actions at some point. If FIFA were really concerned about development in a region, then they would demand things like you can't bid on any tournament whatsoever, men's or women's, until you've demonstrated for at least like, I don't know, one cycle that you've done equitable spending on your men's and women's teams at the senior and the youth level. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or they could be like any profit that you make out of the Women's World Cup a percentage of it must go back into your women's program. You can't just take this prize money because we learned that prize money goes to federations, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. go directly to players. They should be like, you must take this prize money and any commercial benefit that you have and a certain majority percentage must be cycled back into your women's program. And we're going to be auditing your financials 
over the next, you know, once a year, every year for the next four years. And if you don't, we're going to sanction you. Like, no men's tournaments either, since that's all you seem to care about. And I'm not saying this to, like, target Colombia. I'm talking about every federation, Australia and New Zealand included. So I I would love to see FIFA take bold steps like that, but they never will. They're too chicken. Didn't either Australia or New Zealand, I can't remember which one, didn't they do something radical around equal pay? I think the Matildas. I think Australia is uh, equal pay between men and women. Right? Like, I, I couldn't remember which one of them. In the past couple of years, yeah, I will say Football Federation Australia probably has the better track record in treatment of their women's team than Colombia, and which is another thing that, okay, so let's say Colombia gets the tournament and they talk about developing the game for the region. There have to be safeguards put into place to ensure that there's follow-through because, like we've seen with Brazil, they just toss money at the women's senior team to get them prepped ahead of like a major tournament, and then afterwards they're forgotten again. You know, if FIFA wants to be who they say they want to be, they need to figure out how to move, change faster. I will say this. So Brenda Elsie, who's at Politicultura on Twitter, um, talks a lot about how if women want to grow women's sports, they can't just rely on FIFA. They can't just rely on institutions. They have to go mm-hmm. around them. They have to create things on their own. And we need to definitely make some space here between Colombia, the Federation, and then the Colombian players, obviously, because the mm-hmm. players have done a lot of really savvy political organizing. Um, and there's, as Brenda mentioned, there's grassroots organizations in Colombia who have done the work for women's football that their federation will not. The, the question being, would that be enough to make the World Cup a success? Her opinion was yes, because they're connected enough um, and savvy enough and there's enough feminist politicians there that they could have made the bid work. Mm-hmm. And once again, tying back into like the bid rating, it, yes, I do think Australia and New Zealand had the best bid, but was Colombia's bid rating like really that low? Or was it tainted by racist colonialist attitudes within FIFA? I think it's a great question. And I don't know how to answer that without, like, how to get at an answer to that without, like, an investigation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I include myself in this. Like, do you learn about the history of Latin America in public school or college? No, you do not. Mm Mm-mm. If you asked your average American for like a basic outline of stuff that's been going on in Colombia for the past 20, 30 years, do you think they could tell you? No, they could not. Myself uh-uh. included. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I I have a piss I I have a history degree in developing nations and post-colonialism, and I know very little about Latin America. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of colonialism around the world, so yeah, sometimes I mean, it's hard I to keep up with all of it. Mostly in Africa. Like, yeah, I was African studies. Right, 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 right. But yeah, I I think this whole tournament bid discussion has actually opened up a window for us in the future to keep talking about like what are our perceptions of women's uh-huh. soccer in Latin America? What are our perceptions of the federations there and the efforts? that are being given and then what can we do to break out of these old patterns as brenda mentioned like what are ways that we can just go around the institutions 
that are holding back the game there? It's interesting, right? Like I feel like in the in the past or maybe not too far in the past, there have been private investors who have been interested in starting up leagues, um, funding leagues, trying to to grow the game independently. I think I think there's a lot to be said of of breaking systems down and trying to build them in a it's not the right word, like not an enlightened way, but in a way where you know that what was there is broken. Where you and know the context. We're not even, even going to try to salvage it. How would you do it uniquely? I mean, that that's kind of the mental exercise that we went through in like February of, okay, we're not going to have a season. How would we do it otherwise? Exactly. I think you and I have talked about this before as well, where we don't have to emulate everything that men's soccer does yeah we can look at them and like maybe pull like cherry pick some best practices but just because men's sport does it doesn't mean it's good right and and not necessarily that it's bad like it might be good for men's sport but it doesn't work for women's sport like we shouldn't say sport is by default men's and women's sport just gets the word women in front of it like sport could be different you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything could be different. Um, and I think breaking free of patriarchal models is really, really difficult because you've lived with a certain thing your entire life. So it can be hard to break out of the mold. But we have an opportunity to do it in building women's soccer because it's growing. And we're kind of at the tipping point where it's like, all right, let's talk about, let's really talk. It's not theoretical anymore. Let's really talk about what shape we want this sport to take as the fan base grows and as more money floods into the game. Dude, the sport is going to be on CBS proper. Ooh, yeah. Well, for a couple of games. Right, but still. I yeah. mean, like, like a whole new audience is going to see it. And maybe it's not a new audience. Like, maybe you could argue they're being forced to watch it because it's going <laughs> to be the only sport on TV or whatever. And I'm like, fine, enjoy. Like, you're going to watch the most beautiful game being played by people who are really, really fucking good at it. Yeah. There are worse things in the world to, to watch. I, um, I'm pretty excited about watching soccer again. I'll be honest with you, I was a little burnt out in 2019. Between the World Cup and then coming back and jumping right back into NWSL, I was fucking burnt out. And the very dim silver lining of this enforced break, just for me personally, has been I got a moment to breathe. Uh-huh. Obviously, I would rather that this had not happened and we did not have a pandemic and people did not get sick. But, <laughs> you know, the way it happened is I got a moment to breathe. And now I'm really excited for soccer again. Right? Like, it's like, wow, now it's not your job anymore. Like, it hasn't been your job for a while. And now you get to, like, enjoy it again. You don't have to go, oh, God, another tournament, another championship. Like, I know I, I joke that, you know, how cool is it this is your job but when you when you burn out like people burn out at their dream jobs all the time now we we know hey we're gonna sprint our way through the next month and we're gonna have matches you know i i forget what the routine is like it's like every three days or something like that yeah we'll see how long i feel like this because the games are <laughs> On Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and then 10 p.m. Eastern Time. 
And it's kind of going to be a relentless cycle of that every three or four days for several weeks. We'll we'll see. But I mean, you did it in France. Yeah, like, France was even this is a very, worse. This is a very similar... To me, it, it feels very similar to a World Cup. Yeah, but slightly less high stakes. Slightly less high stakes and uh, slightly less adventure and excitement unless... You know, a pandemic is your is your thing. The way the way that you uh, you get your jimmies uh, off of that adrenaline, but but it's it to me, it's just okay. Let's 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 just sit back and take it. Um, slightly less high stakes. Although Lisa Baird revealed that there might be a new trophy. <laughs> so in that sense, the stakes are as high as they've ever been. <laughs> To not have to fucking fight over the old NWSL trophy. My horrible gut feeling, though, is that this trophy is only for the Challenge Cup, and then next year it's back to the bad trophy. I want Lisa's email address because I am going to write an angry, a sternly worded letter every day if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Because I really hope that they are commissioning a unique brand new name it after somebody uh trophy that is going to be like you know this is this is the birth of that trophy and it would be awesome i think if it was like stanley cup and we added rings to it every year or it grew in some way like i think we could borrow a lot of different things from a lot of different leagues um with regard to like what it could be, I really hope it's not like, uh, well, we were out of time, so we just went down to the trophy store and we bought the nicest one they had. Lisa Bear's email is partycommish420 at hotmail.com. <laughs> You're claiming that, aren't you? Maybe. <laughs> is that going to be on the new next new t-shirt? Yeah, Party Commish 420. And then it's a picture of Lisa Bear chugging a Budweiser on that call that she had with Meg Linehan. <laughs> That's her little Abby. Yeah. That should be in the signature, actually. What else is there to talk about? We talked about NWSL, Orlando, we don't, World We don't want to do predictions. We don't want to do predictions because what info do we have to predict on? Yes, we have rosters. but What are you, what are you most excited about for uh, the next World Cup? The next World Cup? Let's uh -huh. see. Well, 32 teams. The World okay. Cup is expanding. I'm really excited to see, actually, the teams we were rooting, like the minnows that we were rooting for in 2019. I want to see, like, is anybody coming back in 2023? And can we track, like, real progress over the cycle? So, for uh -huh. example, a Thailand, who were so stoked when they got their one goal, because it was like a... It was, it was like a proof of concept for them, right? So I don't want to use Thailand too closely as an example because they are being privately funded by like one rich businesswoman. So they don't mm -hmm. exactly have a ton of institutional support. But teams like that, I want to see them come back and you can tell over the cycle like the changes have taken hold. That's something that's exciting to see. It's like watching a baby grow up. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like having a, a check-in with somebody who um, went away for a little while and you're like, oh my God, you grew so much. Yeah. Or it's, or it's just like your friend who was kind of struggling for a while. You check in with them. They're like, actually, 
I, I put in a lot of work and my life is improving and things are getting better. And you're just like, you feel so happy for them. So uh-huh. I really uh-huh. want that for the smaller nations. And obviously there's probably going to be some juicy matchups now with 32 teams, like even more. And maybe we won't have to deal with all the VAR nonsense that we had in 2019. That's oh my God. So it'll... There'll be something new and shiny for us to get mad about, though. You you do you do know that. Yeah, there will be some sort of new thing that FIFA or somebody is going to want to test out at the Women's World Cup. I know, little guinea pigs. Yeah, because you know that's what we are. Um, I'm really excited for it to be happening in Australia's like colder season. Oh my God, it's going to be winter in Australia. Yeah. Like, I'm excited that it's not going to be, like, their fire season. Like, I don't know what the temperatures are really like in July and August, but I think that's going to be a really interesting right. element to it. It's not like la canicule. Like, it's, there's no heat wave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, so, as soon as I heard it, that was the first, honestly, that was the first thing I Googled was, like, uh when is this going to happen like are they actually did they propose changing it to a winter world cup like a, a a northern hemisphere winter world cup all right but here's the thing to anybody who's listening go look up the lowest temperature in australian or new zealand winter if once you get a little more southerly yes it can get a little cold but like to a northeasterner i'm like that i would still possibly wear shorts in that one oh for sure. I mean, it's it's going to be like like going to the coast on like a cloudy day. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's 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 not going to be pack your parka and we're going to freeze like we do in Frisco. You're so right. It's not going to be summer. <laughs> it's not going to be summertime. And I was like, all right, that's that's kind of my jam. Because like as much as I enjoy summertime, like I do not enjoy being sweaty while traveling and being uncomfortable and not knowing like if air conditioning will be at a spot or anything like that, like it's going to be, it's going to be chilly and I'm totally down with that. I wonder if Americans are going to travel as well as they did for France, because there's two things going on here. One, will the airline industry be the same after this year? Like what's going to happen by 2023? Like, will there be a vaccine? Will businesses have rebounded? Whatever. And the second one being, France is a lot easier to travel for. It's uh, from the East Coast. It's about a six-hour plane ride, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's like flying to Los Angeles. But Australia, that's a 24-hour haul. It's a lot uh-huh. more expensive. I was just looking up how to pay for that in miles. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of miles, but it would still like maybe make a dent in the overall cost, especially if I wanted Economy Plus, because uh-huh. I think it's worth it to spend a little more money if it's in your budget on a flight that long for a little more comfort. So can I pitch an idea at you? Okay. Let's just take a boat. Oh, a cruise? Let's just take a cruise. Let's just cruise to Australia. Not that the cruise industry is any cleaner or any more like, like 
you know, safe or sanitary or anything like that. I'm, I'm like, this isn't a legitimate thing. I understand that cruises are bad, but with that disclaimer, dude, let's just take a cruise. What? And if... let's just, let's do party boat. Like let's party boat the hell out of this thing yeah, for like a week. You're a genius party boat. What if a supporters group bought out an entire cruise ship? And so the whole cruise ship was all soccer fans headed to Australia. Dude, we have we have a new conglomeration of NWSL supporter groups. Oh, is it time to mention that? I mean, we can. It's not really appropriate <laughs> to talk about it with regard to like a made up cruise ship thing. Yes, but like, how many how many rooms are on a cruise? Like five hundred? Uh, I think cruises can go to like six to eight hundred people. Yeah, like we could absolutely party boat it to mm. Australia. We just have to, you know, figure out like tickets and uh, no, I am not doing that away. I'm You're not, not managing. Okay. I am not. Ma- I'm you, putting my foot down right now. I am not managing that away. You almost volunteered yourself to be like I, captain of the party uh, boat. I almost volunteered myself to say, "Oh, all we gotta do is figure out blah, 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 and then sell tickets." No, I'm not gonna do it. But could you imagine if we did it and we got entertainment? Wow. If we if we got like I don't know, man. Like, what if what if it was just hey, sail away to sail away to where 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 would we where would we dock? We probably go port? like Los Angeles to Sydney or something like that. Yeah, like sail away to Sydney. Oh my God, what's the line from uh, Finding Nemo? P. P. Sherman, Wallaby Way. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's what we would call the boat, P. Sherman. Okay. Um. Maybe if we got all the supporters groups together, do you want to talk about this? Because there's a there's a thing happening alongside there the is, Challenge Cup. There is a thing happening, and the supporters groups, we all did get together. So we've been meeting a few times since the tournament was announced, and I, uh, the Independent Supporters Council, ISC, has uh, helped facilitate some of the meetings and helped bring us together. Um, because right now they're... There's a little bit more than half of the NWSL supporters groups are also members of ISC. I believe it kind of started as as an idea uh, mirroring what the Tacoma Rain fans or the OL Rain Rain fans um, have been doing for the last year, I think. Uh, And I'm really speaking for them right now, so I apologize if I misspeak. Um, But they the stadium where the the Rain play is on. Uh, native land and uh, on tribal land, I should say. And uh, so they do fundraisers for for those local groups um, to, to help them either with uh, items or for money, things of that nature. And so kind of taking that concept, we decided to do a fundraiser. Uh, it's called the Urban Indian Center of Salt Lake. Um, which supports the tribes where the stadiums that the NWSL Challenge Cup are going to be played, the the land that those stadiums are on. Um, And part of the reason why we're doing this is, uh, A, we want to uh, acknowledge that our teams are training and playing uh, on these traditional indigenous lands. And we want to basically honor native land and that's the hashtag we we have associated with this and we also want to do this in light of covid understanding that the whole reason this tournament is happening is because of this pandemic and how hard 
the Native Americans living in Salt Lake City area are being hit by by the pandemic and the limited resources they have, the limited PPE they have, uh, the higher rates of infection within their communities. And so you're going to see throughout the tournament, each supporters group really trying to raise awareness and the acts uh, we're calling we're calling the the whole thing acts, um, which stands for activating communities through support. So an NWSL supporters initiative. Um, you'll see that the acts account is gonna be. Uh, putting a lot of information out there about other ways that you can support uh, this organization. Um, but ultimately what we're doing is like a pride raiser type of event. We're actually partnered with the pride raiser uh, group, the developers, where for every goal a club scores, you can pledge to donate a certain amount of money to the Urban Indian Center of Salt Lake. So, for example, every time the Thorns score a goal, I've pledged to donate $13. And even if the Thorns don't make it to the playoff or to the championship, like at the end of the tournament, I'll, I'll, I'm committed to, to paying out $13 for every goal. And what we want is for this to become a bit of a friendly competition between the different sports groups and the different clubs um, to see a, who can, you know, get the most people involved or, or raise the most money and be like you're cheering on your club you're cheering on your team uh so the more goals the more everybody's donating and the more the more benefit there is to the uh urban indian center of salt lake we also have created a it's more or less like a neutral page. So let's say you don't have a club in particular that you want to support. Um, you can support uh, through a neutral page or you can just donate directly to the Urban Indi Indian Center of Salt Lake. And that's our way of, of trying to raise awareness and build community uh, across women supporter, uh, women's soccer supporters, but also um, do something good for the Salt Lake area where this tournament is happening. Um, I think if the tournament, if there weren't COVID and NWSL decided to host a tournament, we would all be going there. And hopefully we would be doing uh, acts of goodwill throughout the area, but this is in its stead, um, just a, a simple way that, that we looked into how can we, how can we do something to give back? And that was my spiel. I think that's really good. I mean, for example, the Navajo Nation, which a large part of their lands are in Utah, have been hit especially hard by COVID-19. Native Americans are at best ignored by the government and at worst are actively persecuted. And, you know, I, I think the, the least we can do is acknowledge whose land that we're on and raise some money to help them fight the effects of COVID-19. So I think this is really uh -huh. cool. We'll post a link in the description of the episode where you can go check it out, maybe do some donating. It doesn't have to be related to goals. You can just give money. But, uh -huh. you know, tying it to goals <laughs> might be a, a fun or devastating <laughs> way for you to experience the tournament, depending on who you support. 
<laughs> depending on who you support it's not by player or anything like that like you don't have to guess oh it's going to be a goal by sink um but you you are just committing uh pledging that you know if your club ends up scoring 10 goals then you will donate whatever it is whatever amount uh a dollar a goal cool that's 10 bucks that's that's rad um, if you can donate more, feel free. And if you just want to straight up donate, you know, 25 bucks to, uh, to the organization, um, the links are out there. So, uh, continue to promote it. Um, I'll continue to promote it as much as I can, but it's, it's something that's going to last the whole tournament. And I want to point out, this is just the first of your X projects, right? This is going to be an ongoing project where you guys try to do good community work. Yeah, so whenever we have a national campaign where we all want to get behind one thing or try to do something all together, um, we're going to continue to put it behind the Axe uh, banner. Okay, that sounds really good. It's another example of how sports and social activism and awareness can dovetail really nicely and you know help tie people into their communities you know, as, as, as more than just watching a competition, because why do people get involved in sports? We've talked about it a lot of times, the emotional connection. And I think this is another great way to tie people into feeling like this team is a part of a community. This sport is a community activity. We experience it as a community. So let's make sure that we keep our community happy, healthy, and safe. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Um, and, Something that really resonates with me about the Challenge Cup is how I feel like women's soccer has really gone through this evolution over the last 10 years of only being able to watch it digital or virtually, um, very few people being able to watch it in person, and that's mainly like international tournaments or, or small tournaments that, that don't get a lot of press, to like, okay, now it's become more of a big topic, big issue. And now we're kind of going back to our roots almost of like needing to watch it on streams, needing to do virtual watch parties, needing to follow hashtags, like all of, all of that digital aspect um, or that virtual aspect that we used to have. It's like, how do we still build community when we can't be face to face? And we can do it through shared experiences. And that, for me, is one of the big reasons why I think it's important for supporters groups to come together. Like, we might not agree on match day. We might not <laughs> cheer. We definitely don't cheer for the same club. Um, uh, but we can agree on certain fundamental things. And doing good in, in the community and trying to make it easy for people to contribute uh, is kind of at the root of what we do and who we are. Sounds good to me. I will be heading over to do my donations. I might tie donations to goal scored. I'm not going to say which club, but you can probably already guess which one. Yes. Okay. This has been another episode of Two Drunk Fans. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm a little bit... I've had some juice, which combined with the heat, I don't have central air in my apartment. I'm not in a room with an air conditioner. I'm, you know, sleepy. <laughs> You're feeling it? I don't get drunk anymore. I just get sleepy because <laughs> I'm old and you and I are going to be very old by 2023. Dude, I'm going to be 40. Oh my God. That's I'm going to be an old lady, man. You're going to be too old to organize a fun cruise. Oh. <sighs> 
but maybe it'll be the old lady fun group. Yeah, exactly. You just sit yeah. out by the pool, you have virgin daiquiris, and then you enjoy the midnight buffet. What if it were what if it were like twenty five and older? <laughs> what if it was what if it was thirty and older? No like, Gen Z allowed on the cruise. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh bummer. I mean if you can stay up until 3 a.m. and not feel the effects tomorrow, you are not welcome. Yeah, no, we need a bedtime. Like, we need a fucking curfew because some of us are morning people now or trying to be morning people, and we can't be out until all hours of the night. I like, save that shit for Australia. I bet the crew staff would fucking love a ship full of people who want to be in bed by 1130. Could you imagine? And then we're all doing, like, yoga and meditating in the morning. No parties or, like, we're enjoying drinks, but we're just sitting there talking about, like, tax rebates. No, don't spill your drink. Don't spill the beverage in the pool. Please, please don't do that. That's kind of gross. Yeah, but we can we can definitely talk about things like mortgage rates and (laughs) our portfolios. Is that what you think like adults talk about? I don't know. We would ju- we would just sit around the whole time and just talk fucking women's soccer, like and, and like bulk screen- shopping. Dude, this is oh my god! This is my this is my gay lady soccer bar. Where we it's it's on water. Like or, we just put we take over the A V system and we just we load up all of our saved files of old games and we just say twenty four seven Woso. And we just debate like Tevas versus Chacos. <laughs> yeah. Subarus versus Hondas? I don't know. What other cars yeah, do maybe. the queers drive? Uh well maybe it's like Outback versus Crossover. Yeah, I want the new Subaru electric vehicle, by the way. I want it so badly. I don't want a vehicle ever. I think I think I'm done with cars forever. Really? Forever? Well, I don't know. If I buy a house outside the city, I would need a car. Yeah, true. We can talk about it on the cruise. Homeownership. We might be the last generation that's even remotely capable of doing so. So We might be the last generation of doing that. Could you imagine if the theme was like camping? What, and like, everybody brought their like camping chairs. What's the best item just, you ever like, got at an REI garage sale? Yeah, and then we just had like a bunch of natural gas uh, campfires, like perfectly safe, not wood or anything like that. But, dude, I would cruise to Australia. We'll talk about it later offline. The and the like relative moral ethics of taking cruises. But for now, thanks for joining us in another episode, which I once again want to remind you is not late. We're still in the month of March. So don't complain to us about that. (laughs) We stuck with the plan.